Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for our meditation here this morning is recorded in the 78th Psalm, and we begin with verse 1. A Maskil of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, children yet unborn, and rise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us through your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. What if President Hartwick, President Pfeiffer, and Chaplain Molstad were to conduct a visitation of Bethany? What if they met with every professor, every staff member, and every student to evaluate how well we knew the basic teachings of the faith, put them into practice, and taught them to our children. That's exactly what the Lutheran reformers did when they conducted a visitation of electoral Saxony in 1528. Now, if this practice fills us with some anxiety, possibly even dread, don't worry. It can't be that bad, could it? After all, this is how Martin Luther explained or summarized his experience of the Saxon visitation in the preface to the small catechism. The deplorable Wretched deprivation that I recently encountered while I was a visitor has constrained and compelled me to prepare this small catechism. The ordinary person, especially in the villages, knows absolutely nothing about the Christian faith. And unfortunately, many pastors are completely unskilled and incompetent teachers. They do not know the Lord's Prayer the creed, or the Ten Commandments. As a result, they live like simple cattle or irrational pigs and, despite the fact the gospel has returned, have only mastered the fine arts of misusing all of their freedom. Okay, perhaps I spoke a little too soon. <laughs> but all that being said, it's very important that visitations reveal our spiritual unhealthiness. For just like a doctor has to diagnose, 
physical problems in order to treat them. So too the Lutheran fathers had to diagnose our spiritual problems in order to treat them. We then meditate on this theme. Incline your ears and tell this parable and dark sayings to your children. The first reason we do this is so that we and our children don't become stubborn, fickle, and faithless like our forefathers. But what's with all of this parables and dark sayings business? What's Asaph actually trying to say? Asaph, the psalmist, calls this psalm a parable because he wants us to compare our behavior with that of our Israelite forefathers during the time of the Exodus and the Judges. This history is narrated in the subsequent 64 verses of this, the second longest psalm in the entire Psalter. Asaph also calls this psalm dark sayings because only the eyes of faith can see the hope in this narrative that is so punctuated with rebellion by our forefathers. And yet the reason for this hope is found in the reign of King David that is announced at the end of the psalm. And more specifically in the salvific reign of his greater son, Christ Jesus, which no amount of unfaithfulness on our part can undo. Now, even though Christ's work of salvation doesn't depend on our faithfulness, we only receive the benefits of it through faith. This is why it's so important that we take these parables and dark sayings to heart and teach them to our children. Now, Martin Luther used to say that the ear is the most Christian of all of our senses. For all other senses are active, but only the ear is passive. In fact, the ear can only block out sound with the assistance of the other senses. With this in mind, Asaph conducts a little visitation of his own in this psalm when he asks us if we are better listeners than our forefathers. And hence we ask ourselves, have our eyes become so envious for the flesh pots of others that we tune God out? Do our tongues utter so many complaints about our lot in life that God's word to us is simply drowned out? Have others become such a stench in our nostril? that we can't hear God telling us about how we have become a stench in the nostril of the Almighty? Or have we simply just plugged our ears out of nothing more than stubbornness? And what about our children? Would they say that we are practicing Christians? Could our children explain the six chief parts of the catechism and explain the basics of the Bible. Would they even say that we made a sincere effort to strive to teach them the Christian faith? Obviously, we have all failed in this regard. And yet, the whole point of any visitation isn't to kick us while we're down. 
but to call us back to the only one who can truly help, namely our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thus, the second reason for these parables and dark sayings is so that we and our children set our hope on God and focus on his works of salvation on our behalf and keep his commandments. Now, when Jesus visited our fallen race, he didn't just call us to repentance. For Matthew tells us that he spoke in parables to fulfill the second verse of this psalm. Matthew states, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now Jesus also did more than undo our failure to take these parables and dark sayings to heart and to teach them to our children. For when he visited us, he came to make all that was prefigured, all that was foreshadowed in the Exodus, a reality in our lives. For he came to deliver us from a far greater foe. He came to deliver us from the bondage of hell. Think about it. Moses could only pray God for food in the wilderness. But Jesus turned five barley loaves and two small fish into food for 5,000. Moses could only receive the law on Mount Sinai. But Jesus gave grace and truth on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses could only tell the people that the Passover lamb would deliver them from physical Egypt. Yet Jesus became the only Passover lamb who could atone for us with his very own blood, who delivered us from the angel of death and transforms us into that which we eat in the holy and blessed Eucharist. All of this he gives us, as the old Germans used to say, frei umsonst, grace free for nothing. They're nothing more than God's word in oral, written, and sacramental forms. But perhaps you still feel like the Bible is a bit confusing. Maybe its message at times seems just a little too difficult. But Matthew tells us that Jesus will reveal the meaning of those parables and dark sayings to all those who listen to him in faith. But how do we get that faith in Christ? The truth is, we can't get that faith. It must grasp hold and take care, grasp hold and take hold of us. St. Paul puts it this way. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. For if God's word could speak the entire universe into being out of nothing, it can certainly create faith in our cold, dead hearts. If God's word once gave Balaam's donkey intelligible words, then it can certainly give us understanding of God's word as well. Finally, the reason we put our confidence in God is because these parables and dark sayings give us hope of our ultimate deliverance. For despite all of the failures of our Israelite forefathers, God still established a Davidic kingdom nevertheless. And in 2 Samuel 7, God even promised David that his kingdom would never end. Now when the Israelites reflected on this 
in the Babylonian captivity, they knew that David's greater son would come and make this a reality. And indeed, Jesus did come, and he freed us from the bondage of hell. And yet his kingdom is not of this world. In fact, his kingdom will only be fully manifested at the end of times. For this is the new creation. The new heavens and the new earth, the promised land of milk and honey blessed. But until we finally cross the Jordan, brothers and sisters, remember what Johannes Dietrichson once preached to our immigrant forefathers in Kushkanon, Wisconsin. Drawing on the 19th verse of this psalm, he asked those American immigrants, can God spread a table in the wilderness? The answer he gave is yes, he can. He's done it once, he will do it again. This is why we need to incline our ears and tell these parables and dark sayings to our children. For just as God provided for our Norwegian forefathers in this wilderness, so too we can rest assured that he will provide for us as we sojourn through this barren land every day closer and closer to the promised land. Amen. Congregation may rise. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard and keep your hearts and minds and faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. And let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we most heartily thank you that by your word you have brought us out of the darkness of error into the light of your grace. We beseech you. Mercifully help us to walk in that light. Guard us from all error and false doctrine. And grant that we may not become ungrateful and despise and persecute your word, but receive it with all our heart. Govern our lives according to it. And put our trust in your grace through the merit of your dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.